welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. For many reasons, I am really looking forward to talking with today's guest. We all have people in our lives who influence us at a formative stage of our career, and I certainly do too. I started hairdressing in New Zealand in 1978, but in 1980, I immigrated to London with the dream of working for Fidel Sassoon. And when eventually I got a job there, my first teacher was Vivian McKinder, who at the time was creative director of Sassoon and head of staff training. So she had an impact on me as a young hairdresser before she left Sassoon and moved on in her career. As a hairdresser, Vivian has had a lot of accolades, as long as your arm, and still continues to push the boundaries and evolve in many directions. So in today's podcast, we're going to discuss the future of education, the relevance of awards, leadership, the importance of training for young hairdressers, succeeding as a woman in business, and loads more. There's a lot of wisdom in here, so get pen and paper and a cup of coffee. It's note-taking time. So welcome to the show, Vivian McKinder. Thank you so much, Anthony. You know, when I listen to your story, it just takes me back to that memory of how cute you were. And um, <laughs> my, my question is, can you cut a straight line? I can. Don't worry. Yeah, I, I haven't forgotten how to do that. You certainly gave me the discipline required for that skill. And that is one of the things that we're going to delve into today. So where, where are we going to start today? Um, look, why don't you start by telling us about what you're doing now? I am still a student. Isn't it funny? I'm still learning and I'm finding it so delicious to be um, so closely connected to all different opportunities to learn. And I would say my biggest teacher right now is the website that I have, Hair Designer TV. And it constantly teaches me something. And uh, it's everything from communication skills to technical, the, the, the website, to filming, uh, video, still imagery, the creative process, the narrative of telling a story in a haircut. And uh, it just constantly pushes me. And I have to tell you, Anthony, after watching almost 900 videos be edited and watching myself and seeing and hearing the things that I do and say, it's changed who I am because I would watch some of the videos and think, oh, why the heck are you doing that? Oh, for goodness sake, woman, stop combing that hair and just cut it, for goodness sake. And so I've learned about efficiency as well. So that's what I'm doing. I'm very immersed in that. And um, I'm, it takes up a phenomenal amount of my time. My gap time is creating more content for my website. And I still do do workshops and seminars, which I thoroughly enjoy. But I had to give up salon life. I, it was impossible to, to do it all. Okay, well... Um, I'm going to get you to, to, to dig into that more because I know Hair Designer TV is, um, you know, uh, your baby. It's been your passion for a long time. It's not something that's new, but I know that you've constantly been evolving it and reinventing it. And like you say, 900 different videos. Well, you know, hats off to you. But also, you know, I've, I've done a lot of these videos. I, I, I called it the two-minute salon manager. And I remember the day I first did the first one. And I knew that I just had to start with them somewhere. 
And when I go back and I look at that, I've now done over 400 of them. When I, when I look at the first ones, it's like, oh, my God, that's embarrassing. But, you know, there's a lesson in there that, that both of us, you know, that for other people, that you just start, don't you? You just start, and the more you do, the better you get. And I think that's a problem a lot of people have with stuff, isn't it? They, they simply don't start at the beginning and go, right, let's put one foot in front of the other and, and go on this, this journey of evolving and learning more. Yes, well, you know, I think confidence comes from knowledge and then believing in the knowledge you're, you're given. And if you're fortunate enough to have great mentors in your life and you clearly know what you want and you have a belief system that is in alignment with that, you'll, you'll get whatever you want in life as long as you work incredibly hard. And I think that often what stops us is the fear, the fear of the unknown. What if I fail? What if it doesn't work out? I'm comfortable where I am. I'm safe where I am. I won't take that chance. And I think you have to kind of fail forward and almost do it afraid because in that process, you discover so much. And obviously, the more you surround yourself with people better than yourself, then I think that's probably the biggest, most important thing I've learned in my career. And as you know, Anthony, um, I, you know, from Sassoon's to Trevor Sorby and all the iconic hairdressers who I've been blessed to be around throughout my entire career and the business people that know so much more than me, I actually really quite enjoy when I'm the dumbest one in the room. And we're next week going to do this whiteboard session. And I have this gentleman coming in who has this brilliant mind. And I just want to sit there quietly, take notes and just listen to his narrative as he takes me on a journey to examine my business and where I'm going to go next. And I think just being around people better than yourself is so fabulous. And I think when you make that be your habit, then you see life unfold very differently. Without a doubt. So Hair Designer TV, when did it actually first start? When was its inception? Oh, about 25 years ago. And oh, I started, okay. yeah, I started and there was the technology which just was not there. And we were thinking about putting this information on these big discs. And it was before CDs. I mean, this is really aging me. But electricity had been invented. So that's the good news. Um, <laughs> but actually, it was when I was in Australia that I realized we did a lovely show there. And I thought, you know, the saddest thing about this, I'm leaving this amazing country and the brilliant hairdressers that are there. I, I love Australia and I love the Australian hairdressing team. And I, I left there and I thought, the lights go out. And what happens to all the information? How much of it will be applied? How much of it will influence and change somebody's life? Because surely I've been here to help and deposit some value in somebody's life. That's why I'm, I've gone there. But really, what is, the, what is the lasting effect of it? And I thought way back then, wouldn't it be wonderful if my information could travel, not on a VHS, uh, but travel through the internet to all these different places around the world? And that's where the idea began. So I, start, I invested money way back then in designing the first system. And then I realized, first of all, my name was not big enough to take something internationally. And secondly, you know, dial up, everything's, you know, it was impossible. So I had an idea that was way too ahead of the curve. Um, as I then, 15 years ago, when I launched Hair Designer TV, um, I, even then it was a real struggle because a phone was merely a phone. Those were the days when we actually used to talk to each other on the phone. Do you remember that? Yeah, quite a concept, wasn't it? Yeah. Quite a concept. <laughs> I, I read somewhere recently that now only 20% 
of the the use of your iPhone is actually for making phone calls. It's it's a it's a computer that happens to also enable you to make phone calls. But eighty percent of the stuff has got nothing to do with using it as a phone, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm sure that's you know familiar to a lot of people. That sort of you know usage as a percentage of of uh, absolutely. Time. And I was started. Yes. And, and when I started, I knew that photographing one's work and being able to photo journal the journey, the good, the bad and the ugly, and having a, a portfolio of learns, I knew that that would be a really important part of discovery. And I was thinking, gosh, how am I going to get my head around this? Because how many people know how to use the camera? How are you then going to get your information from the camera into some digital platform so that you can review it? It's going to have to go go to the chemist to print your pictures, put it in some physical book. And it's like, it felt so cumbersome. So about two years after I had launched the Hair Designer TV, I thought it would be great if I could have a tablet that could sit in a salon and all the information would be in that tablet so that I wouldn't have to be reliant on streaming information. So I thought, right, I'm going to start looking for it. So this is before the iPad. And I'm, I found a company that made something very similar to the iPad. And I thought, wow, this would be incredible. Maybe I can get investors. And now I'm, I will be selling a device that will live in the salon. And you'll be able to have all your information there. And we'll get it to take pictures. And I had this whole vision. And Thank goodness I didn't go down that path because then, you know, Apple came out with the iPad and I thought, wow, this is incredible. Now my life has really changed. So the moral of the story here is that, you know, timing is everything in business. And when you're too ahead, it's as dangerous as being too far behind because they always say the pioneer is the one that gets the arrows in their back. And you have to be really resilient and really able to fail and fail and fail, but still hold on to the passion and the dream and the vision and say, I'm not letting go of this. And because that door slammed in my face, what window can I now open and and go through? So the creative process of problem solving has probably been my biggest discovery. Yeah. So if you're a hairdresser listening to this, um, a salon owner, uh, head designer TV is a website. Yeah. And yes, it's basically yes. a training platform that is full of 900 odd videos on, on cutting, dressing hair. Uh, does it have a coloring hair section? Yes, it does. And it right. has uh, leadership and it has motivation. Wow. Fantastic. So, so, so how do, how do people access it? Is it like, do they, is it a, a membership thing? Is it a recurring payment stream? What's uh, what's yes. the way they access it? Yeah, it is a membership site and it is um, divided up into categories. So you can go to the cutting library, uh, you can go to the editorial library, which has everything to do with dressing hair. And so it's divided into categories. And then I have it in courses because one of the challenges that I hear so much from salon owners is having a consistent training program that produces a consistent result. And I believe there are bridges to learning and each bridge connects you to the next bridge and increases your dexterity skill and your understanding. So I have um, two, two courses that are built to either take you on a longer journey, which is mastery, or a shorter journey, which is more of a, this is what we're doing today, kind of like this is on trend and this will get you busy in the salon. So uh, I have something called the designer program and it literally starts at soft skills and it's called who's sitting in your chair. And I feel that this is such a gap in our business because the art of communicating and really knowing the landscape in which your client lives is so important. And I think we were talking about courage questions. I think that 
there are certain questions in a consultation that require courage to ask. Anything around money is always a courageous question. And when you're diving into someone's personality, their likes and their dislikes, that's a very sensitive area. And how you navigate through there is, is also somewhat of a challenge. So I have worked through the intuitive part of how do you develop a great sense of style? How do you read that client? And how do you know when it's right and when it's really wrong? Yeah. And so I've broken it down into very specific lessons and tutorials, a deep dive into face shape, a deep dive into fashion and how we are part of the, the wheel of fashion, um, a whole, whole area of study on so haircuts can be very sensual and they can be very glamorous and can be very boyish. And where does that woman live on that wheel of sensuality? So that is the framework that I like to begin everything with because, you know, this is a funny story. I was in London um, a couple of months ago and I decided that I was going to go into a really high-powered top salon there for a consultation. And I read this the report that's, that said that when the this journalist asked hairdressers in a survey how many hairdressers did they feel did a consultation, 97% of hairdressers said they gave a consultation. They asked the consumer, do you receive a consultation when you go to your salon? And they said, 7% said yes. So the gap between 97 and 7% is a huge gap. And I wanted to put that to the test by going to a top salon. And what I realized is that very often a hairdresser thinks that when they're saying, well, we'll cut an inch off or we'll put some slices through the front, that that's a consultation, but it's not. It's just explaining what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, I put it to the test. So I went to the salon and um, I decided I couldn't just go for a consultation. I should buy a service. So I went in to have a blow dry. So I was the 11 o'clock client going for a blow dry. And when I got in there, the gentleman, lovely chap, he took me immediately to the backwash. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to shampoo my hair without a consultation. And I thought, well, I'm just a blow dry, right? So maybe that doesn't count. I'm thinking, no, no, no. I'm paying 97 pounds for this, right? And <laughs> I should have a really amazing consultation for my blow dry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll say at that price. So, so American audience, uh, that's what, about $130, $130 or something? Yeah. Uh, for a blow dry, Australians, it's what, 160 or something. So yeah, that's that's a lot of money for a blow dry. I mean, you'd, you'd want a consultation, that's for sure. Yeah, and I have short hair. My, hair, my hair's at my shoulders and I don't yeah. have thick hair, so it's like really going to take three puffs and you're done, right? Yeah. Um, so he, I, he, he's just about to wet my hair and I said, oh, excuse me, could you, do you mind, um, uh, I, I was thinking about uh, possibly coming back to have my hair cut. And um, so therefore I would be very interested in a consultation before you shampoo my hair. And I thought, oh, don't give away that you're a hairdresser. So I'm trying super hard to sound like uh, a consumer and I don't even know what that sounds like really. So he went, oh, and he took me in front of the mirror. And so I said, so what would you think about giving me a totally different look? I thought, I'll feed him some information, right? I'll, yeah. I'll throw him a bone. And he went, no. And I said, no. He said, no. <laughs> I said, well, what would you like to do? He said, he said, I think we keep it the same. I said, well, I was actually looking to have something different because I'm bored with my hair. He said, well, maybe we put in a few layers. I went, okay. And so I said, well, how about changing the color? And he said, no, I think color's good. And, you know, in fairness, maybe that's true. Maybe my haircut, my color is the best that I could be right now, which is fair. That's a fair comment. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but there was no conversation about face shape or an alternative or well, maybe if we blow dried it in a different way, you'd feel like you have a different hairstyle, even though 
it's the same haircut or what do you do for a living or you've come in for this blow dry you know with hair this short you must be going somewhere special are you wearing an evening gown or what is the occasion nothing not one question so I then said to him that I used to have a pixie haircut and I was considering that and he looked at me in horror you know maybe he just thought I'd look like Julie Andrews from The Sound of Music but um, he, he said, oh, no, no. I went, okay. So he said, but actually I could cut your hair right now. And I said, no, I don't think so. I said, I think I'll wait. I said, because I was really looking for something different. Uh, so he shampoos my hair, I have a fantastic shampoo. Then I get to his chair and he says to me, um, would you like me to put root spray at your roots? And I said, if you feel that's appropriate, sure. Uh, no question about does your hair hold movement? Does your hair collapse? Does your hair get frizzy? No questioning because I could have certainly helped him out. Yeah. And then he said to me, um, would you like it straight or curly? So I said, are those my two options? He said, yes. Um, okay. So I'm trying to think what's a straight hairstyle and what's a curly hairstyle? Because there's no descriptive. There's no colorful words about like to sweep it here, tuck it behind your ear. It'll be very kind of glamorous or whatever. Or, you must be going somewhere special tonight because you've come in for a blow dryer, are you? Or, you know, what's the occasion? None of that. No, no curiosity. And I think part of being creative is that curiosity, which is so important. So he blow dries my hair in the most strange way. And, you know, out of a blow, the blow dry was excellent. But I felt so sad because I felt like I wanted to know what this man would recommend because I was looking for something and I genuinely was looking for something. But I wanted to know what does a real great consultation look like? So I thought, well, I'm going to ask him a few more questions. I said, I know this company has many salons, you know, uh, here in London and in in Italy. I said, "Uh, do you travel from salon to salon? He said, oh, I travel uh, only to go to their academy. I went, oh, they have an academy. He said, yes. I said, do you teach? He said, yes. He said, I teach uh, new trends. I went, how fascinating. And I thought, you better shut up, Vivian, because soon you're going to be giving away that you're a spy. (laughs) But I walked away there going, okay, now I understand that statistic of the 97% of hairdressers that believe they're giving a consultation. And he did give me a consultation because he told me yes and a no, but that wasn't a consultation. It wasn't a deep dive. So it affirms to me how that whole narrative as to where are you today? Where would you like to go? What do you want? But what do you not want? But going way beyond length of hair because we're part of the whole wheel of fashion. And, and so I put something together now and it's on my website where it's such a deep dive into the subject. And the results have been amazing because I've had so many stylists say, say and this is a common response, they're attracting new business, their, intent, their referrals and their retention has increased and their, their earnings have increased. I have people that have doubled, tripled their income just by using this model. And the way I teach it is through blow drying because when you change a parting in a blow dry, if it's not right, you can change it back. If you exaggerate and make the front very dramatic, and if it doesn't work and you want to create a curtain fringe, you can change it back. But when you design to skull shape and face shape, and then you know how to make it feminine or not feminine, quiet or loud, rock and roll or classic, whatever that may be, it gives you expression, it gives you creativity just with blow drying. And I think so many of us switch off and we just go through the mechanics and we've stopped designing. And I think the biggest change in fashion right now is not in cutting techniques is how we finish the cutting techniques. It's really, really different. So yeah, without a doubt. Wait, I have all of that stuff on my website. Well, that, that, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Got so many, I've made so many notes while you've been talking. I mean, one, one of the things I wanted to say was that, you know, 
I, I would rather, I mean, I, I often tell this story in one of my seminars that I, I had a client sat in my chair once who, who said she felt guilty about coming to see me. And when I said, I said to her, that's a strange expression. And she said, uh, well, I usually go and see, and she told me the name of another hairdresser. And she said, uh, and, and I knew who that other hairdresser was. And she said, that, you know, she's so nice. I, I, I really love her. But she always does the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes you realize that sometimes clients think that to get a change of style, they have to have a change of stylist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would rather someone left me because they didn't like what I did than left me because they were so bored with what I did, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that sort of reinforces that message. And, and the other thing that I think that's a, a really good takeaway from what you're saying is that, you know, being a client doing what you've done and go in there as a client and get your $50 or 50 pounds, whatever it is out of your purse and, uh, and be on the other end of that client experience. It's the best 50 bucks you'll ever spend in your life. If you, if you've got a sense of awareness about you, because it's such a great education to be reminded what it's like to be a client, to, to be reminded what it's like to not feel listened to or for, for someone not to be taking an interest in you um, and, or, or to not even like what you've got, but then still have to pass over 50 bucks for it. So it's, it's, a, it's a great um, educational experience in itself to do that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I believe there's only three things that you really need to do to be a person of influence. And the word influence has got sort of tainted a bit by the word influencer, but to be a person of influence behind your chair means that you are a leader because someone's following you and following your direction. And the first thing you have to do is, is show that you care. And then the second thing is that you can help them and that you can be trusted. And if you focus on how can I show that I care for this person because I'm going to listen and I'm going to really discover who they are and who they are not, help is my expertise and making excellent recommendations because yes, you can show me a photograph, which is a wonderful visual reference, but you're not in that picture generally, unless it's a photograph of themselves. Generally, it's a photograph of somebody else, a beautiful model. And yes, that's a lovely reference, but when you put their look into it, it doesn't work. I'll give you a good example. I saw this beautiful dress on a 19-year-old on the website, and I thought that dress is stunning. It was black and it had lace in it. I bought it. And uh, I put it on the room and I said to my husband, what do you, now on the 19 year old who's skinny and gorgeous, it looked really cool. It looked really edgy. My husband goes silent and he says, darling, you look like an old Spanish lady going to a funeral. <laughs> Compliments. So he had a good yeah. evening then. <laughs> yeah, he did. He had a really good evening. And I thought, how is it that I could have changed that dress from looking so cool? It's the same dress. Yeah. But it's on a different body, right? Yeah. So it's the same thing with an Instagram photograph. Fantastic haircut, fantastic color. And you know what's really surprising to me? Whenever I have my hair cut and I see my hair laying on the floor, I always think, oh, blimey, that doesn't look so red. It looks like the bottom of a pond. It's like not, not even a pretty color, but that was on my head a moment ago. And my opinion of what a color should be on me is really a little off because when I look at my own hair that's on my head, I have one impression, but when it's detached from me and I look at it on the floor, I go, 
oh, really, that's not so red after all. And very often, women who look at photographs, they're not understanding the conversion of, well, it, it looks like this on somebody else. Now you're going to be wearing it. Oh, it may not be the wisest thing. Let's customize it. So if we lose this art of interpretation, and if we lo lose the art of, of consultation, the way I'm speaking about it, not just going through the mechanics, I'm talking about something that's far deeper than that. I'm talking about developing great taste. It's good to go to an expert and then say, you know what, I love that idea. Let me talk to you about interpreting it so it works for you because it's a wonderful idea, but we need to adapt it to your bone structure, to your hair texture, to your build, and let's discuss what that is. Now I'm using my expertise because you're not, you're, I'm just not copying a picture anymore, which is really hard to do. Yeah. You know, I'm just reflecting on on your experience in that salon, and I'm thinking about something else I did want to ask you about, and it's sort of I, I wondered about the age of that hairdresser because one of the things that I'm finding more and more is, and, and this is not meant in a derogatory way towards young hairdressers, but, you know, the generation of hairdressers today, so if you're a 20-something, you have come up in our industry in an era of long hair. and it hasn't always been an era of long hair. When I started in hairdressing in the, in the 80s, it was very much an era of a lot more shorter haircuts. And like everything, that will change. But I suppose what I'm leading to is this, is that there's a lot of clients that will now say to me, or a lot of salon owners that will say to me, I've got this young team of 20-somethings and they're great at color because I do believe that this generation are better at, at, at coloring than what uh, the generation of, of myself when I was in my 20s, uh, you know, they're better today than what my generation were when we were in their 20s. But in terms of cutting hair, we used to do a lot of short haircuts. So you got really good at it and really good at understanding hair by cutting it shorter and, you know, what it can and can't do. But now there's a generation of people that are fantastic at color and, and even dressing hair. They've got better at dressing hair. But as soon as they've give, given someone in their chair who wants something that's a bit shorter, that wants some variations on shorter hair, they're terrified because they haven't done enough of it and they don't have the confidence uh, or the skills to do that. Um, but what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. And I think back to when I was learning to cut hair, I was terrified of it. And I had actually great education in it. I think it can be very daunting because if a color doesn't work out, if you're a really great colorist, you can correct your problem. And she still walks out with a length of hair and she's going to be walking out with a lot of conditioning treatments. Um, if the style doesn't work, you can brush it out. It's a shampoo away from change. But a haircut, if you don't understand how hair moves, how hair jumps, um, if you don't understand how to read uh, hair that's hanging one length and now what's going to happen when I layer it, um, that's huge. And also, if you don't understand how to cut to bone structure and how to create internal lift or to soften a square face or slim a round face, if you don't know angles and how to do that, then yes, it's terribly intimidating. And I understand why people would back away. And to do really well-crafted haircuts do take time. You can do a generic, you know, a generic haircut, the same generic haircut all day long and just blow dry it slightly differently. And that one you could probably spit out in 20 minutes. But if you're going to talk about real uh, fabulous haircuts that stand out from the crowd, that takes more time. And I think it's become also a money game in terms of, you know, 
at one time, it was so hard to convince somebody to have color. And then the price point around the color service was not what it is today. Mm. And at one time, when we came out with our keratin treatments and anything to make nice, silky, straight hair, it was a totally different price point to a perm. And if people could go back and think about the perming prices, which were much, much cheaper than a keratin treatment, it's like, wow, you know, you could get a perm for $75. Now you have a keratin treatment for $400. So, you know, now when we go back into perming, it needs to come to a, it needs to be repositioned because perms are fabulous when they're done correctly and so there's a whole new level now in perming hair and creating texture and dimension because now we're going into the curl again so that is for us to jump up but the haircuts kind of get left behind a little bit so i think there's the financial issue of how much you can earn per hour when you're only doing a haircut. The second thing is the skill level and the fear around, my gosh, what if she does not like it? And, and also the fact that when hair drapes around your face, unless you're coloring, because absolutely you can color to face shape, you can open and close the face accordingly. Uh, but when you are having long hair, it really isn't doing a whole lot to your face shape. It's just hanging, right? So when you get into haircuts, that's when you get to real design to bone structure. And when a client sees that she can look younger, fresher, and wow, it makes her look more beautiful. It makes her face look oval. Then you've got a really great conversation going on. And now you've got to increase that value. So I think our haircuts have to be re-examined. And the price of a haircut, I believe, should be much more than it is right now. I think we have, we've let that lag. Okay, good insight. Um, so I'll give Hair Designer TV a shameless plug here because, I mean, that is, uh, and I'll also put a link to Hair Designer TV in our show notes. But the whole point of this, you know, hair designer TV is that hair is your training program. Hair is, you know, if you own a salon out there and you have these young team members who, who, you know, have, have uh, joined you, they've come out of college, they've come out of beauty school, they've come out of, you know, hairdressing school or they've done an apprenticeship or whatever, but they still don't have those technical skills needed. It's really important that you don't expect someone else that you don't expect that you know that the schools to train your people to the level that you need them to be it's about an ongoing thing that happens within the four walls of your salon so if you're not capable of developing your own step by step training program and and taking your team through these haircuts then you need to avail yourself of um, a resource and Hair Designer TV is obviously a great resource that can um, can fill that gap for many salons out there. Thank you. I'd like Not to think so. Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. Other, I mean, there's the 900 haircuts on there. Yeah, really. But I, the other aspect too is I chose intentionally not to sell products on there in terms of like having advertising and banners and buy my scissors and you get free education and all of that stuff. I wanted pure education where it's curated. And um, I also wanted things for professional eyes only. And I think there's a true danger right now in what you learn on YouTube, regardless of what it may be, because anyone can self-publish today. And whether it be on Instagram, whether it be on any of these social platforms, you can self-publish, which is marvelous. It gives you a voice and it gives you a platform. But you also have to have discernment to know who you're studying from, because you'll become what you what you hang around with and because human behavior is con- contagious. So if I see somebody, I, I saw this on, on someone's feed, they cut a straight line to cut a fringe. 
So they cut the fringe through their fingers and it was a blunt line. So that's the one technique. Then they layered it, which is technique number two. Then they slithered into it, which was technique number three. Then they got out the thinning scissors to debulk it, which is technique number four. Then they went back in and they started to chip and point into the perimeter shape because the hard line was still there. That was five. In the end, I counted seven very good techniques. But why do seven when there is one that will give you a beautiful, soft, very gentle fringe that's not too heavy and so on and so forth? So I look at the final image and I go, wow, that's really overcut. And I'm thinking, why would you work that hard? Every technique was executed extremely well. But why do seven when there's one? And under the feed, you've got lovely people saying, oh, that's so clever. That's so genius. I can't wait to try it. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. So now you're learning how to do it. There's an E. And so I think that, that today you've got to be very mindful of the influences in your life. You will become who you hang out with, whether it is online or standing right by your side and say, do I want to be good or do I want to be great? And, and what level do I want to play at? Because if I want to play at another level, and I want to increase my value, then I have to up my game. And it's a journey. And I think when you find mentors or a training system that you're enjoying, my discovery has been you enjoy who you become on that journey. And it become, you, you like yourself more because you're growing and expanding and you become a really fascinating person. And I think part of staying young in, in anything in life is having that childlike curiosity, like, oh, why not try this? Or when someone shows you something, it's like, wow, yeah, I want to learn that. That's so cool. And having that enthusiasm and that passion versus, well, I won't do that. My clients won't like that. Hey, I've seen that before. Now I don't have time for that. It's almost like downplaying it. So I always say, you know, make a date with yourself. You have to have an artist date. If you don't carve out time in your week for time for study and time for practicing, then when will it happen? And if you won't do it for you, do it for your clients. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now let's mix it up a little bit. There's something else I wanted to ask you about here. And that was awards. You have, um, you know, you've won lots of accolades over the years. Um, and, you know, from the outside looking in, for me now looking at hairdressing awards, I wonder about how valid they are these days. You know, what, what, what are your comments about that? Because social media sort of changed a lot of things. And I'm starting to look at some awards things and and just wonder if they are still uh, right for this age or do people feel that they get their recognition through the amount of followers they've got and the amount of likes that they get, that they don't need to, to be, um, uh, they, 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 they don't need to, they don't need to be approved by the artistic director of a magazine as to whether their pictures are going to get shown or not. They don't need to be, uh, the winner of an award if they've got, you know, 10,000 likes to something. Uh, is, is awards, are awards as relevant today as what they have been for the last 30, 40 years? That's a really good question. Um, I, I would say in some ways they, they've lost some of their power and um, sometimes you'll see the best of the best being acknowledged and they're totally worthy of it because they've got judges that get it, that understand it. Sometimes you'll look at certain things, you go, hmm, I don't really think that the best person won here, which then kind of uh, 
it loses its value. The cost of doing a, a photo shoot is so expensive today. And especially when you're looking at the rules and regulations of some of these competitions, you're investing a phenomenal amount of money. So what's the return on that investment? Is the return on that investment that you go on an amazing journey and you're pushed and you're challenged yourself and you do your finest work because you've given yourself this goal? Um, is the return on the investment that you could probably be recognized and noticed by a manufacturer and they then want to leverage it and you may get a contract? Is that it? Is it something that you can leverage within your local market and you can really make something of it? Because there's one thing to be self-published and self-acclaimed. It's another thing when others say, we're going to publish you or we're going to honor you because of what you've done. And there's a real difference in curated by experts versus anyone putting themselves up there. And you get lost in the sea of sameness because today, everyone, when everyone has access to something, it loses its value because you get lost in the crowd. And when you look at a lot of Instagram imagery right now, there's a lot of same, same, same. And some of the big Instagram people who are doing a phenomenal job because there's good out there and there's brilliant out there and then there's average out there and there's also not so good out there. So it comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? But when you look at people who are doing brilliant work out there, they stand out from the crowd, but they're the exception. And then you look at the average, they get lost in the crowd because it's the same as anywhere else. So there are times when an award, if you know how to market yourself and PR it afterwards, can give you something important. And having won awards, I know for that moment, it's like, it's a pretty good feeling. And then afterwards you think, okay, so now what? And the, the many, many times when I haven't got a nominated for an award or I didn't win, it was like, you know what, that's okay because the journey that took me there was so powerful and what I learned on the way, nothing can take that away from me. So I think it's we've got to look at the individual market. And as in anything in life, when you're setting a goal, it's like, why? Why do you want to do it? And if you did do it, what would it mean? And if you didn't do it, what would it mean? And mm. I think that's really important, that why question. Yeah, that is, that's true. That's true. You, you, another thing I wanted to ask you about was a, a few years ago, you did a fantastic uh, documentary series um, that was called Not Just a Hairdresser. Um, I've, I've got the videos and they're a you know, series of fantastic interviews with people that are you know, nothing short of iconic in the hairdressing industry. T t tell us about that. Just you know, riff on that for a bit. Well, I, at the time, I felt that the industry was in decline. Um, there were less people coming into the industry. And um, the value of the industry, I, I questioned, do, do people really value a hairdresser? And what does it take to win the respect of the consumer? And obviously, hairdressers are perceived differently from country to country. And um, I thought, what do we need to do to raise the integrity of our industry and fly the flag for hairdressing and show what a noble business it is and how we can do so many great things in our profession? And then I thought about all the iconic people that I knew that I, at any point I could pick up the phone and talk to these incredible icons. And I thought, I know their story, but nobody else does know their story. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to interview them and share the story of their lives and ask them about their greatest victories, their, their most challenging times in their life, and really find out what, was the, what were the ingredients to make them as successful and as long-lasting in their success, I may add. 
and, and to really dive behind sort of the, the scene because we can all see, you know, a beautiful salon and someone being super successful and we see the reward. But what we don't often see is the struggle and the challenges behind the scenes and, and what went on that stopped you from sometimes moving forward and in other times it, that, that disappointment just gave you the power to drive even further forward. So I thought that would be a really cool thing to do. So consequently, I, I thought, well, if I can get Vidal Sassoon, I've got everybody. So I called Vidal, Vidal and I asked him whether he'd be in the documentary and he was so gracious and he said, absolutely, anything I can do to support you. And so he was my first person. And then I thought, oh gosh, I don't even know how to make a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I don't even know anything about filming. Um, I don't even know anything about interviewing. And at that time, I was working with a French photographer who was a fashion photographer, but he was also a journalist. And I said, would you help me with this? And would you help me structure questions and help coach me on how to be someone to do a good interview? And he said to me, well, an interview is really simple. He said, he said it's, it's all about a manipulation. He said, you must know the answer you want out of their mouth so that you ask the question to get that answer. And I thought, huh. Wow, that's interesting. Yes. So by, by thinking about, I want Vidal to talk about how he suffered and how he struggled and going through the revolution of what he created and so on and so forth, I thought, right, I've got to get, I've got to frame my question to get that answer. And so it was the most fascinating journey of, of learning. And then I thought, how am I going to afford to do this? And then I thought, oh, well, I'll just go out to our industry and they'll support this. They'll, they'll you know, it, it's, it's not about the brands. It's about the art. It's about the craft. It's about the elevation of our industry. So I went to the associations. I went to manufacturers and nobody would give me any financial support. So I thought, oh, well. I'll just do it by myself. And so I invested in it in myself. And I thought, well, I, I feel like I'm going to help people. And it was just a really fascinating journey. I learned a lot. It wasn't easy. But um, at some point, I feel like I'm going to pick it up again and continue mm. because there's some other people that I would really like to capture their story. Yeah. And you know, two of the people are no longer with us anymore. Horst Rakobaka has passed. Vidal Sassoon has passed. So I have that iconic piece of history. And when you hear Horst speak about at 14 years old, he did his first competition and he won. He got addicted to winning. Mm. And his addiction to winning and doing 40 clients in a day and then spending the evenings practicing competition hair as it was back then, that gave him the drive and the thirst for success. And that's where he, he feels that drive came from to build a Veda. Wow. Interesting. Are, are they still available, the documentaries? They're on the website. So they're on Hair Designer TV? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, have you ever wanted to own your own salon? I have been offered many salons in my career and one in England, uh, three in New York. Uh, I've been so many times and each time I just thought, I don't think I've got what it takes for it. Um, I, and I'm not wired for that. I'm a very adventurous girl and I didn't know whether I would find um, my wings being clipped. Hmm. And even though I've worked in amazing salons and I thoroughly enjoyed working with clients, um, I actually think out of all the things I do, that's probably the easiest thing to do for me, to work with one person, please one person, and just see that transformation in that short period of time and just see them walk out of the salon smiling. 
all the projects I work on are huge projects and there's financial risk. There's a lot of players involved. And like, if I'm on a photo shoot, like I remember once time being on a shoot and it was a three, $300,000 photo shoot and time was everything. And there were so many people there with an opinion, like you shouldn't do this, you should do this. And I was thinking I'm being pulled in 20 different directions right now. I just want to do pretty hair. And it was so, so difficult. And I remember on that day thinking, oh gosh, it's so much easier if you were in a salon just dealing with one client at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that, that leads me into the next question. Talk to us about leadership. Mm. I think this is the most important thing of all, really. How you lead yourself is probably the hardest thing in life. Um, yeah. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And um, uh, I, I, I think that John Maxwell's analogy of the law of the lid, like, we all, if we saw ourselves as this cute little Murphy's jar, is the lid screwed down shut and there's all this talent bubbling away inside and do we open that lid so it can come out or is the lid sometimes open, sometimes closed and, and who controls the lid? Is it somebody else or is it you? Because I think that um, leadership is about, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are extraordinary and inspiring them to want to step into their greatness. And I also think that leadership's about, um, how do you support somebody on their journey um, where management systems, leadership is from a very inspired place and, and it's helping people realize their potential because anyone listening to this who is a leader and has the responsibility of owning a business, you know, your people are your asset or they're a liability. And how do you turn that into an asset? And how do you inspire them to want to be the best version of themselves? And of course, as you know, it all starts with your style of leadership and, and the culture that you choose to build. And you've got to lead always by example. Um, and that's probably the hardest thing about being a leader. Don't do what I say, you know, do what I do, you know. And, and I think that's where it's so difficult. And our industry sadly lacks um, the leadership that it needs. Uh, I, I believe at salon level, all the way through to the corporate level with some of the manufacturers, for anyone who's worked for a manufacturer, um, it's, it's quite challenging dealing with those levels of leadership. Um, and I think that there's a gentleman who I've been studying with. His name is Sad Guru, and he's an Indian yogi. And I do yoga, I meditate, and um, he's the most fascinating man. And he has literally, he's got millions of volunteers, first of all. He has a nonprofit organization, and he travels around the world. And you can see him on YouTube, and he's been interviewed by Yale and Harvard. He's spoken on TED Talk. He's spoken at the Houses of Parliament. He's spoken at the UN. He's spoken at all different places. But the people who are most fascinated by him are the Fortune 500 companies and these business universities like Harvard, because they want to know, how is it that you, this cute little Indian man, with your turban and your very long beard, how do you get all these people to follow you? And that's what's so fascinating. And people follow him because of his vision and who he is and the way he lives his life. And people want to emulate and have that peace and love and serenity and compassion. They want to be like a sad guru. So and how do you spell his name? S-A-D-H. Guru, sad. 
Ah, right. S-A-D-H Guru. So if you put that into YouTube, you can find out more about him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Such a, so the whole point is that when you look at voluntary organizations, people follow the leader because they, they're following a vision. When you look at somebody in a corporate environment, they're following the leader because they're paid. Yeah. And when you look at the leadership styles that are servanthood leadership, leadership which is about empowering the people in, in, a, in an organized way, because you've got to have structure within this, um, where they feel that they love who they become on the journey. So like within your salon culture, it's a cu culture of growing, of sharing. It's, a, it's, it's always thinking of what the next new thing is. Nothing is standing still. You're always reinventing yourself. If that is the culture that you have, then people are very motivated. No one can get sort of lazy because everything is moving forward and you don't want to get left behind. And yeah. you remember at Sassoon's, we used to do all those soirees which i used to hate right <laughs> because i, I should love them oh i hated them because you're always judged and i would always yes. be like feeling like oh i didn't do a good enough job and i i was um belittled so many times where it was like well that what the heck is that that's no good and so again you know when you're a leader you have a responsibility to give feedback with compassion because i do believe that Feedback is very, very important, but it should always be delivered with compassion to help, not to to push somebody down. So that's the other thing. But yeah, mm. I, I think I think the hairdressing industry is desperate for leadership, um, and and in a lot of ways, the sort of um, with the changing business models and there being a lot more independent contractors, a lot more freelancers, a lot more booth renters or salon suite owners, etc. Yes. That it that it is having the the opposite effect that there's you know that there are so many more players in the market but there is a, a lack of um leadership there are one or two people that do a great job of it but i think no matter where you are in the world that um i think the world needs leadership uh, and the hairdressing industry is no different from it that, that it definitely needs uh, more and better leadership we need to sort of be heading towards wrapping up, not just yet, but there's a couple of questions I was, I was uh, wanting to ask you about. Uh, one of them was, um, you're English, but you've been living in America now for what, 20 odd years? Yes. 20 odd years, right. How has living in America, um, has it, how has it changed you as a hairdresser and as a businesswoman? It's been quite challenging on, on many levels. Um, from a business perspective, I feel like I've learned an awful lot. Um, I'm in New York, so the New York sort of scene is sort of longer, sexy hair. Uh, it's very commercial. It's not as edgy as you would imagine it to be. When you get more out into the boroughs, you know, you can have some more cool hipsters, but they usually are not going to the high-end salons. Um, so it's harder, I believe, to be really creative in New York at a salon level. In a studio level, then there's a lot of opportunity. So the creative journey um, can sometimes feel a little bit uh, restrictive um, because of just New York being the financial capital of the United States, really. And so it's a different mindset here. Um, so that's been a little challenging. Business-wise, learned tons. Um, and uh, it's, it's always... Um, it's always humbling when you go to another country because you've got to understand the culture that you're in and um, adapt in some shape or form. And like when I go back to the UK, um, obviously it's home. So I, I, I feel like I can sigh. I feel like I can just sort of relax a little bit. And my, my, my conversation with 
English hairdressers is very, very different to my conversation with American hairdressers, which is quite fascinating. In, in America, it would be much more business and thinking, where when I go back to the UK, money doesn't really even come up on the equation. It's talking yeah. about really cool hair. And mm. you know, we get much more into the art there. And, I, yeah. and so I think that it's a wonderful yin and yang, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting observation. So last question, Viv. As a successful woman in business, what, what is the advice that you would give to young women today? That's a great question. Um, I, I actually say to people, and I do it in a keynote speech, actually, and it's this simple. You have to design your lifestyle first and back your career into it versus let the career go off in whatever direction it's going to go off in and then one day look and go, oh, my gosh, what happened to my relationship? I can't now have a family. That, that, that ship sailed because I've been so immersed in my career, there was no time for it. So I really think you have to look at what your core values are and what's important to you because I think it's very difficult to do, to do and be all things. And I think one of the most amazing gifts in being a woman is that we are pretty good at multitasking. But when you multitask, sometimes we take on more than we should we often can be pleasers and we want to please everybody and we don't learn how to say no. And then we find that our life is spinning out of control and we have no time for self. And we're just busy, busy juggling the family, the children, uh, the business and all the other things that go on in between. And um, it can get very overwhelming. I know that my, my wonderful mother, she was a stay-at-home mother and her job was to raise the, the, the children. And she did, I think, a pretty good job. And what a noble job that is. And it's one of the hardest jobs that's out there. So I think that you've got to really ask yourself this important question. If I design my lifestyle first, how does this career fit into it? So if I want to have my family and I want to always show up at the same place every day, it would make more sense to obviously be salon-based, working with the same collective group of people and not be roaming around the world doing editorial work or photo shoots or whatever else that may be or teaching where you're away from your family. Um, when I started at Sassoon's, nobody said to me that the first day I stepped on stage would be one of thousand stages that I would step on. And they never said to me, by the way, you'll be on a plane and traveling all over the world and you won't be at home very much. That wasn't even a consideration. I was so excited to go to these places. Mm. The consequence was my first marriage failed and um, because I was never around. And, and obviously to have had a family would have been very difficult with that lifestyle. So, you know, when you look at some of the women who are doing amazing things out there, they've either got to have such an incredible support system to make sure that all the other parts of their life are well organized and it's all systemized in such a, such a way that they can do what they want to do. So I think it's, it's, um, we have so many choices today that sometimes we're spoilt for the choices. And I think it's narrowing down and editing and saying, these are the, these are the important things in my life. And I, I say, do, I, I call it my post-it exercise, which is literally purge every idea and thought you have on post-it notes. And whether it comes to financial, write every idea and thought you have about financials, uh, what you want to earn and, and, what you want to borrow and whatever the, the financial picture looks like. It's 
every thought that you have around money is put out there. And then if it's something to do with your physical well-being, everything to do with your physical well-being is put on a post-it note. So what you do is you harvest all these ideas and thoughts. It's your life. It's your dreams. It's your vision. And you have all these post-it notes and you put them on the wall and go, wow, that's my life. huh? Now then I've got to bring order to it. I've got to be organize this and what comes first and so for young people listening you may think well I want to I want to go off and I want to do photo shoots and I want to do this and I want to travel the world well okay sure do that but why would someone book you so you've now got to be in a really high profile salon where those kind of jobs would come that way you've got to get an agent where those jobs are going to come your way now what are all the steps you have to take in order to be worthy to go off and do that kind of stuff and now you may have to move to a major city, and that's a huge—that's a huge sacrifice. Living in any city today around the world is so expensive, so the quality of your life may deteriorate. So you've got to look at all the pros and cons because you pay a price for everything. You'll pay a price emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. There's a price. Everything has a price tag. When you want it bad enough, it won't bother you. But when you're halfway through your journey, it will test how much you really, really want it. And most people, like the people who come to New York, most come to New York and within two years are gone. Not only in the hair industry, but other industries. Because one of the hardest things for me working in a salon in New York was my clientele was always leaving. Mm. It's like, why are you leaving? I haven't had a date in three years. I'm going back home. Okay. Well, look, I think that's as good a place as any to wrap things up. Um, did I answer that? Did I answer that? Yeah, you did. And you, you answered that and my next question, which my last question was going to be, you know, how would you like to finish up? Uh, have you got any final words of wisdom? And you, you sort of segued into that perfectly. So, uh, um, Vivian McKinder, we could keep talking to you um, all day. You have uh, lots of great wisdom and uh, lots of great thoughts for us to, to reflect on. But I really want to thank you for taking the time to be on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. And uh, thank you for you know, sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your, your passion for this industry with our listeners. Thank you, Anthony. And congratulations to you, to you for all that you're doing with your business and your wonderful books and your wonderful two-minute videos that you do. <laughs> They're adorable. And for all you're doing because you've made a difference. And it's an honor to be here. And thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.